This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to the first ever episode 105, 105 of the Best Seats Podcast, the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the most talented people in and around the hospitality community from right here in Orange County to the rest of Southern California and beyond each and every episode. As always, I'm your host, Croft McCarthy, founder and principal of the Best Seats. Thank you, as always, to my friend Allie Coyle, who provides the music for the show. You can find more of her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com. As a reminder, if you enjoy the show, please be sure to leave a rating and or a review if you are listening to it on free feeds. It helps bump us up in the algorithms. You know how to play that game. Gets us in front of other people that may want to hear material just like this in the area. So thank you so much for doing that. I hate pandering for it, but it helps. you got to play the algorithm game nowadays. So thank you for doing that. Uh, go to thebestseats.com for more content just like this. The merchandise store is open. You can find it over there. And do not forget... That the very best experience is only found over on Patreon, where you get exclusive access to each and every post show, which are only available to Patreon subscribers, um, access to episodes of the past when that goes live, exclusive blog posts, and more. And thank you so much, uh, just once again, to everybody who does subscribe each and every month. Obviously, times are kind of wild right now economically, especially getting into the holidays. So whatever tier you subscribe at, whether it's $2 a month, 15 advertising, whatever it is. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, the fact that you are willing to put your hard-earned money behind this show and this brand truly means a world. So thank you, especially as we get into the holiday seasons. Uh, speaking of the holiday seasons, it's kind of poignant for 105. I'm very, very excited to sit down. Um, once again, back on the show is Chef Zach Scher over at the Bella Chef's Table in Newport Beach. But also I'm joined by the man behind Bella himself, Sandro Nardone. Now, I'm very, very excited to sit down with both of these guys. Uh, first and foremost, I wanted to check back in with Zach and get him back on the show um, for a while now, mainly because what he's been doing at Chef's Table has gone mainstream as far as media goes, where a lot of other outlets, kind of major outlets, more traditional players, more traditional media, you know, people not the best seats, which is fine. I'm allowed for other people to play if they want to. The world needs more media. <laughs> um, people have taken notice, and rightfully so, because... As we talked about when I had him first on the show many episodes ago, what he's doing is awesome. And now everybody else is realizing just how amazing and awesome it is. Something I've been a big fan of since my very first meal there. I've been fortunate enough to go back. Um, I can't praise what he's doing enough. But also, I wanted to get Sandro on the show to talk about Bello itself and how Bello has evolved. But also because he's got a bit of a side hustle going and it's really, really fun because especially as we're recording this, we recorded this um, a couple of weeks ago, but this episode is releasing, depending on when you're listening to it, right before Thanksgiving. Um, actually, it goes live to patrons the week of Thanksgiving. And first and foremost, happy early Thanksgiving and happy holidays, whatever you're doing for them, depending on when you're hearing this. Maybe they've passed. I don't know. But I wanted to get Sandra on the show because this is a time of 
yeah, opulence and meals and bringing people together and sharing, you know, stories around tables constantly, whether it's Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, Christmas, whatever you're celebrating this kind of this next two months, you know, New Year's Eve, this next two months is really about bringing people together around great meals. And what better way to do that than with great ingredients? And one of the things that Sandro is doing is bringing in truffles. Yes, not that gross little bottle of truffle oil you find in your mom's closet. No, 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 no. It's not that weird thing in the spice. No, it is real truffles. Those awesome little funky nuggets of deliciousness. He's bringing them in. So I wanted to get him on the show as well, because obviously they play such a pivotal role in the type of food that Zach is doing. And depending on when you're listening to this, there may still be tickets available. They are doing a truffle dinner at Bella Chef's Table coming together. But again, you can get all the details of that in the show, in the post show, only on Patreon. Enough of me rambling. We got some stuff to talk about. So without further ado, it is episode 105 of the Best Seats podcast featuring Chef Zach Scher and the owner and chef of Bello by Sandra Nardone, the man himself, Sandra Nardone. Enjoy, everybody. Gentlemen, great to be sitting down together. Really calm, nice little Monday. Halloween here on the day that we're recording this over at Bello. Uh, new and returning guests at the same time. We finally get to have Sandro on the show for the first time, which I'm very excited about. Zach, you have been on the show previously, but it has been a minute. And there's a lot of things that I want to catch up on, a lot of new things that I want to dive into. But before we do that, in case anybody has not heard the previous episode, would you both mind introducing yourselves and giving a little bit of your background? Sandra, you want to start with you? Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Sandro Nardone. I'm the chef owner at Bello. I moved uh, to the United States uh, almost 10 years ago, uh, started two other restaurants, and uh, now here I am. There we go. And Zach, over to you. Uh, Zach, sure. I'm the chef de cuisine over at Bello. So I uh, run day-to-day operations and then kind of uh, you mentioned kind of focus on the chef's table and we've talked about that too, doing our uh, tasting menu in the restaurant while kind of uh, all special events as well. <laughs> uh, Zach, when you and I first sat down, this was several months ago now at this point, um, chef's table has come a long way, but before we kind of jump into that and kind of the concept of what that is under this roof, I want to talk about Bello itself because again, we talked about it initially when you and I first sat <laughs> down, but Sandra now having a chance to have you on the show this is a restaurant that has done very well for itself. It's really kind of come into its own, especially the past, I would say, probably year and a half. Yeah, not um, being closed for a pandemic helps. Yeah, that generally is a good thing for business to not have yeah. to be closed down like that. But <laughs> now that I do have you on the show, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't pick your brain a little bit and kind of get the ethos behind this restaurant because it could have been a lot easier to do a kind of quote unquote American style, traditional Italian restaurant, but this is really its own different animal and, and I think a very important one in the landscape out here. So can you kind of give a little bit of background of Bello? When I moved to the United States 10 years ago, which is not really a long time ago, all the restaurants, all the Italian restaurants were still uh, very Americanized, uh, unless beside a couple of them in LA. And then, so I decided when I opened Bello to do a restaurant that it uh, serve the food the way we serve it in Italy. Uh, obviously, we are a lot more modern than a lot of restaurants in Italy that serve really great food. And uh, it was the way I went. And I thought it was uh, against a few people that they said, oh, you won't make it. It's going to be very hard. People won't like it. But, you know, we went our way. And uh, thanks to all the team, uh, especially Zach, we were able to to go this different route and uh, we we got there. Uh, 
in a year and a half beside the pandemic, we were very successful. We did a really good job. People continue coming back. They come from LA, they come from all over the, the place. And uh, has it been really easy, easy? No, but it's not even, it's not been really hard also. And uh, everybody in here made it happen. I mean, the restaurant as a whole is what, three years old, give or take? Yeah. Yes. November 19th. Yeah. I mean, which is still in terms of industry, Still very much kind of in the instance, I mean, infancy of it. I mean, three years is not a long time, especially when you're talking about a year to a year and a half of pandemic closures and openings and things like that. So what would you say has been kind of one of the key, if not a couple key things that have helped Bellow kind of grow and, and gain the popularity and recognition that it has? Well, uh, there's a few things. First of all, we didn't care about people, what they, what they thought about Italian food. We went our way, we did our food. Uh, between Zach, I and all the team, uh, we were able to, to come up with uh, food that is very, very similar to food served in Italy, but it has our touch. So uh, we were able to focus on uh, a lot of clientele that uh, they like uh, food, they like their foodies, and uh, it was easy on that easy for us to do that and every day we're evolving every day this is uh, changing and plus uh, as you already know Zach uh, did his chef table which uh, it brought another uh, uh, by to another level mm -hmm. and uh, so how did and again I'm having had Zach on the show previously and I want to jump to the chef's table here in a second how did the concept of launching that come from kind of your end of things? Because obviously bringing in someone like him and kind of letting him be free to do what he does, not a lot of owners or other chefs, that's not an easy choice for a lot of people to basically give over the reins of kind of the chef's counter. What was the inspiration and kind of the catalyst for you that got this going? So you gotta give people the freedom of doing what they're good at doing. If you, you, know, if you keep them uh, away from doing what they like to do, probably they're gonna leave immediately. And uh, we sat down with Zach uh, when he became the chef here. And, uh, you know, I told him, I said, Zach, you're free to do whatever you want to do. Just make sure that uh, we keep the food cost in, uh, <laughs> in, uh, in shape. <laughs> and for the rest, you can do whatever you want. And uh, one thing I, I got to say about Zach, uh, beside everything, every time he was coming up with an idea, he still does, hey, Sandro, is this something that you would do there? Is this something similar to what uh, your mom used to do? I said, yeah, Zach, uh, we're, we're on that line there. So it was easy. Uh, so I, I let him do whatever he wants to do. Zach, turning over to you, uh, as I mentioned several episodes ago, you were on, this was kind of right when Chef's Table was just kind of getting going. Maybe it had only been going, I want to say like a handful of months give yeah. or take. What has been, I mean, the growth has now been astronomical, yeah. it seems. seems uh, outlets are really starting to pick up the- People have written nice words doing. about us. Yeah. It's really the, uh, <laughs> the short of it. I mean, since you and I last sat down, what have been some of the kind of the biggest changes for you and the process and how it's been going? Uh, I mean, it's even Bellow and Chef's Table in a combo. It's kind of just yeah. understanding where the, what, what, what people, I guess, want and how it's been received, but also kind of deciding what it is. Because when you start doing like a, a very kind of in-depth tasting menu or something that like really you're the one of the only people around, we don't have any referential points. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, it's like we're not in New York. We don't have... 11 out Madison Park down the street and we're trying to open a tasting menu restaurant and say, well, we see what they do and then we're gonna, we're gonna do that sort of. Like we've just sort of played it by ear and made it up as we've gone along. So it's been like a, a very strong evolution and we're kind of just like 
every single month, like I just reassess and look at it and say, okay, like what, what got good response? What got bad response? How is the experience as a whole? Because I think one of the key things I touched on even last time and I'll continue to is that it is an experience. It's not just like a, you're going to come here and get full. It's like, it's, it's looking at it from a diner's point of view every single month and kind of helping it grow. And that's the, like I said, the same thing kind of trickles into, not trickles into Bellow, but that's just how we like uh, approach everything is looking at it. Like, okay, like, how does this affect the diner? What is the diner like? And you know, what, what can make it better for them? And from a culinary standpoint, that's kind of always our approach is like making in that, you know, it comes through an Italian lens and, and Sandro's right. Like I've, I've, I think I said last time, I'll say it again. I've never worked at an Italian restaurant before working at Bello. So it's learning the philosophy and the kind of mindset behind everything and kind of just how we apply that to kind of the modern facade that we operate in. Since the last time you and I chatted, um, you know, like you mentioned, a lot of media outlets have given a lot of recognition and, and credit where it's due to not just Chef's Table, but the restaurant yeah, Bellow itself as well. Since you and I last spoke, what have been some of the biggest changes that you and your team have experienced, not just with the Chef's Table experience, but with what guests can expect at just a regular night at Bellow itself as well? Like, are you saying just like food-wise or like just yeah, I mean, like, it, has there been like just kind of, how has the Chef's Table evolved and grown and has sure. that had a trickle down into the standard experience? At yeah, Bellow? it's just more kind of, uh, when everybody writes about you and you kind of get this like notoriety, it gives you a lot more, um, I guess, wiggle room to be weird is the funniest way I could put it, but kind of, uh, Weird's a, a weird, a funny, uh, the wrong word, I guess, but to be creative and let people kind of, people will trust you more like implicitly. So you can do things like we've done, like, you know, like a caviar noodles dish for our pasta of the week, which is, you know, it's not a cheap dish, but people are buying it and telling us how good it is. And it's, you know, if you would have told me like 12 or 15 years ago when I started cooking in Orange County that I'd be able to serve like, you know, lemon cream with caviar over it on noodles and I'd have like, I'd sell 20 a night, like, that wasn't happening. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's funny to like people are trusting us more and it also kind of gives us more leeway to have people like just accept like what you're doing, I guess. Cause you have like this level of like validation from news sources where like people go, Hey, these guys aren't idiots. They make good food. And then we go, Hey, maybe, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> so. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, Sandro, from your standpoint, what has it been like as you to, again, the person behind Bello, now that the chef's portion of the, or the chef's table, that kind of portion of the dining experience has really taken off. How has that kind of changed the space a little bit? Because it's one thing to open a big restaurant like this, a beautiful space, and now you have this entire other concept basically operating within it. How has that changed kind of your day-to-day interactions with the restaurant? From the beginning, when uh, we opened Bello, there was always this uh, chef table. There was always this counter in front of the kitchen, mm-hmm. which it was uh, at the beginning when we took over the space. It was uh, before we re- we re- uh, did the work in the space. The, uh, that was the pass for the restaurant. So basically, okay. where the food was coming out. So then we decided let's keep it uh, as uh, regular seats, and uh, we used to sit. Uh, guests there for the regular menu sometimes there was at the beginning sometimes there was something that i could you know i used to come up with some dishes that we didn't have on the menu but it really it became chef's table when zach took it over yeah and uh this is basically two restaurants in one restaurant uh, there's bello and then there's a bello chef's table uh it's, it's the same family let's say it like that mm-hmm. the same family people come in there's a bunch of people that they're in the restaurant for the first time and they look at the chef's table and they see it's full say oh what is that so basically you explain what you're doing and that uh brings in 
a big vibe. So people, they're all anxious. Oh, can we go? Can we, how can we get a, a table, a chef's table? So it's, it became really a, a popular thing. Yeah, and I have to uh, imagine it's cool for diners who are kind of just in the dining room to be looking over and be like, ooh, what is that? Yeah. Ooh, what is that one? Yeah, yeah. it's like, a, I always say it's it's a sort of like marketable experience. I know that's like more from the nerdy business side and it's not as sexy as talking about the you know vision of it. But, um, you know, it, it provides something to talk about because it is so different than what other restaurants do. And, you know, it's it's he said it right. It's a restaurant inside of a restaurant it's, and it's everybody kind of asks even me my, or Drew or, you know, Sandra, like, oh, why do you guys do this? And it's like, well, I just like to work really hard, I guess. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> Bellow itself does well and it's like a good restaurant. So, but to decide to stack another whole experience on top of that is kind yeah. of a, you know, it's just, we're doing it because we, we have fun doing it, but at the same time, it, uh, it provides something really cool for the area, I guess. Well, it's time for a little commercial yeah i don't know about you but 2020 had me re-looking at how i live and the space that i live in spending so much time at home really had me reevaluating how certain things worked and didn't in my living space one of the main things as an avid home cook and an obvious supporter of restaurants was gardening anybody who enjoys food at all will be able to tell you that something you've grown yourself will taste infinitely better than anything you can buy at a store. That's where Ashley Irene of Heirloom Potage comes in. Heirloom Potage designs, installs, and maintains seasonal culinary gardens for chefs and foodies in Orange County. They provide organic gardening methods and bespoke build-outs used to preserve the heirloom varietals that they'll provide for seeds. An approachable and exciting endeavor, no matter if you're a seasoned restaurateur or a stay-at-home chef. Owner Ashley Irene's experience, expertise, and enthusiasm is only matched by her professionalism. For more information on how you can set up a consultation to get your own culinary garden space set up, go to heirloompotage.com. That's heirloom, H-E-I-R-L-O-O-M, potage, P-O-T-A-G-E-R.com today. Once again, that's heirloom potage. If you listen to the best seats at all or read the content, then you know the motto, live well and often. But what does it mean? In layman's terms, it's trying to give you the best products, places, experiences, and more so you can put a big smile on your face every single day. Amass Botanics is what I use on my back bar constantly if I need a cocktail or a quick pick-me-up. Any of their other botanical products, like candles, hand sanitizer, and more, also helps to set the mood. Now, I'm a big fan of everything that Amass does. I have been since day one when they launched their trademark gin. And everything they've done since then has been nothing short of excellent. Now you can get your hands on their products at a discounted rate by going to amass.com and using the discount code, thebestseats15, that's C-E-A-T-S, at checkout. Now it's limited one per customer, so make sure you load up. But trust me, you can't go wrong with anything they're doing. I stand by Amass 100%. They're one of my go-to brands for spirits needs or anything around the house. So again, go to amass.com, that's A-M-A-S-S, and use the code THEBESTSEATS15 at checkout. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. Yes. Is there any sense of now that, again, a lot of kind of more, I guess, larger media um, 
bigger than the best seats, although, you know, better, I guess, is up to the eye of the beholder. But there are some great people who have written some great words. Is there any kind of sense of validation about that? Hey, we took this adventure. We really, really pushed it. Like you said, you got to be able to be a little bit more and yeah, weird, it, weird with it. Like yeah. you got to push and now people keep loving it and it yeah. keeps up. Uh, is there any sense? Validation is a weird word because that means that like, that's what we're looking for. If that makes any sense. And that's kind of, that's fair. Our, I, does it know? feel good? Yeah. It, it, of course it feels good. It's not when people say you do something nice, it should feel nice. And that's, we really appreciate that. But like the real goal for it is it to just be a standout experience and us to be proud of it. And that's kind of what we've always approached it with. And it's how we're going to keep approaching it. And, and everything is appreciative and love. And it's like, whatever recognition and all that is great. Cause I think it really kind of, uh, I guess it does. It verifies the fact that we're not kind of just out here spinning our wheels, but it's, uh, I don't know. It's uh, we, we're going to keep pushing it, I guess is the best way. And hopefully we can just keep climbing with it is the, the hope. I don't know if that's like a, the most non answer answer ever, but you know, <laughs> no, you know what? That yeah. works perfectly. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about something you said and because it relates to both, the restaurant and the chef's table experience was that you're cooking through the lens through an Italian lens without having to make people go back and listen to the first episode together for people that may not have experienced the restaurant. This is not your traditional kind of red sauce. This is, yeah. you know, it's, it's, uh, let me kind of elaborate first on, and I'm going to kick it to Sandra. Yeah. I want to hear his thoughts. Uh, like really, cause the way I cook is I really like to learn the philosophy behind a food and like why people do what they do. And I, kind of you have like Italians, a very cloistered country where you have, you know, 10 to 15 different types of unique cuisines inside of one country. So it's really hard to say that Italian is one thing, 100%, but yeah. what I've really tried to do, especially, like I said, I've never cooked Italian before is learn the philosophy behind it. Like, okay, why in Puglia do we eat these dishes? And yeah. like, why are we eating raw seafood? Why are we? And it's like kind of this, uh, this exploration of these ingredients. So, we, when I say through the lens, it means we're taking this philosophy of like, Hey, like we're going to, we're going to make this like a Puglian would make it, but we're using modern Californian technique and ingredients. So it becomes like this kind of like our compass for why we do things. But also it means like, okay, yeah, in Italy, they don't have soy sauce, but I'm sure if they did, they'd be like, man, soy sauce is great. Yeah. So we put soy sauce on stuff when we want to put soy sauce on stuff because that's what it is. As long as you're paying attention and, and respecting the ingredient, I really feel like you're kind of staying within Italian cooking, but I do have an Italian sitting to my right. So maybe I can hear his, uh, <laughs> his, uh, his, uh, thoughts on that. So when Zach started uh, here at Bello, he didn't have, uh, and not in a mean way, he didn't have a clue what Italian food was in the sense he knew what Italian food was here in the United States, yeah. let's say here in California. So, you know, I guide him a little bit and uh, I show them what we, uh, or, or basic dishes, okay? For example, on the menu, we have a basic dish that uh, even before Zach came in, for example, the pomodoro, mm -hmm. we, we don't do it the traditional way. We do it the um, way I thought it was fun to do. And this happened to all the other dishes. So uh, we use, like Zach said, we use uh, ingredients that they're not really familiar to Italian food, like soy sauce, like you mentioned, but um, the, the, the philosophy is doing Italian food. And uh, we were able to do this with all the dishes that we do. We change the crudo every week, and it's been a challenge because changing a dish so often it's not an easy it's not yeah. an easy it's not an easy thing but uh we were able to manage this 
um, the food that we do, it is modern. So if you go in Italy and you start looking at certain restaurants, they do more or less what we do. And it doesn't mean that we're copying them on, or that they're copying us, but uh, Italian food has a different approach. It has a different approach. It's not anymore spaghetti with meatballs. Yeah. Uh, that's not going to happen anymore. It will never happen in this restaurant. So uh, we do, like Zach mentioned before, uh, tagliolini with uh, lemon cream and uh, caviar. Who would have ever thought about something like that? Very, very, uh, it's a very avant-garde dish, even today, if you go look at it. But we did it. So we're always uh, in constant evolution. And uh, hopefully we're going to push it until uh, there's no end to this. Hopefully Zach mm. has enough uh, uh, will and enough. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we've done 90 crudos now. Yeah, so 90 crudos. And they're yes. all, yeah, and they're all, and the funny thing is, is like you said, they they are all very different, like f- like ingredients or even like approaches, but they all taste Italian, if that makes any yeah. sense. Like I yeah. did, we did one last week with like a plum dashi and I think I did like black sesame oil. And it's, it's, a, it's kind of the balance of it because like a crudo, if you eat like a true crudo everywhere, the first thing you should taste is fish. It shouldn't be like an aguachile. It shouldn't be like a ceviche. It shouldn't even be like a tataki where it has like ponzu over it. Mm-hmm. It should taste like fish. You should say, hey, this hamachi tastes like hamachi. Now I have these backup singers that are helping my hamachi taste away. And that's like kind of the idea when you think about Italian food is like you want the thing that you say is the most important thing on the plate should be what the plate tastes like. And then everything else should be there to help it. It shouldn't detract it. It shouldn't be like, hey, like, yeah, I have this really beautiful tuna and I just covered it in ponzu. And so now it just tastes like, you know, ponzu with tuna texture. Yeah. You know, it's more of like, okay, well, how do I make this? How do I respect this beautiful tuna and let this beautiful tuna be tuna? And that's, you know, that's like, I think where like Italian food starts is like kind of looking at stuff like even like a pasta. Like a pasta isn't only like us Americans really screw up because we think pasta is about the sauce. And it's not about the sauce. It's about the noodle first yeah. and the fact that like, cause you can, I can put sauce on anything I can eat. If I wanted to eat a bowl of Norcha sauce, I could, it'd be weird as hell, but um, it's about the noodle. And then you think of how the sauce interacts with the noodle and how all that. So it's like, that's kind of where you want to start is kind of thinking about it like that. And then you kind of, you have your way. So like you said, yeah, I, I we make it, right now. It's a different fish pasta and crudo every week aside from doing a seasonal menu so and obviously you guys are doing all the pasta in house yeah of course house yeah yeah of course the Uh, way it should be yeah yeah Yeah. of course and so but it um doing it that way you kind of like you you have to be creative because and like i said you have to stay in a fluff philosophical sense because like if i were just to do be like i'm gonna open up my italian cookbook i don't even think there are 90 crudos i can find i mean i guess there are probably 90 italian cookbooks but they overlap a lot so you have to be like okay well how do i like apply these ingredients with this mindset. So that's that's always how, even like like I said, chef's table is like that too, but it's a lot looser, I guess, cause I can. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, it's, you know, I do some things that are questionably Italian, if you will, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. It, but, has, uh, it has it, its foot in there is what I said. You always have one, I guess, have one foot in Italy, if you will, and then kind of the other foot and wherever the hell else it lands. But a crudo in Italy, a crudo in Italy, as we all know, it's the fish, lemon, olive oil, Salt. salt. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. We yeah, you might we, have pepperoncino on there. Yeah, maybe. But we play with so many ingredients yeah. and you know it's uh you said 90, 90 crudos is a lot. 
Oh. Yeah, that's that's. And not, they've all been different. That's not cooking. That's an exercise in masochism. Yeah, yeah that's, that's like. A, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I got. Yeah, that's we're we're not very smart, but we do work hard. <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, you do get to play with a lot of really fun ingredients, and yeah. at least at the time of this recording, like I said, this is the end of October. You know, we are kind of right in the height of one of the best ingredients out there, which is truffles. See, now, you guys, theme dinners are nothing new here. You've been doing dinners with people like Peter Neptune, where you'll be doing wine tasting dinners. You've done certain kind of theme dinners, even if they're on a little bit of the looser end with chef's table. You guys have, at least at the time of this recording, tickets are still available for it, yes. a truffle dinner coming up. And I want to talk about just truffles as a whole, because everybody has been over to their weird aunt's house who has that bottle of truffle oil, and that's not truffles. That's not even... That's made in a lab real. in Massachusetts. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So... <laughs> Talk about what it's like to play with these awesome, awesome things. First of all, what is it like to actually get them? Because, I mean, sourcing food in general is so hard for so many That's people a, right now, and you're trying to go after these little golden funk nuggets of just wooded deliciousness. Yeah, it's a Sandra question, so. So the way we get them, uh, we import directly the, the truffle, so we have a custom broker. I buy directly from the source in Italy, mm -hmm. and then uh, it's uh, overnighted, shipped overnighted, and then... Uh, I go to LAX to pick it up, and uh, here we have it. So the truffle it can be fresher than than that, unless you find them here in California, which is impossible. Yeah, it's uh, truffle is uh, present uh, to all year round. Uh, we start with the scorzone, which is a summer truffle. Then in November we start with uh, uncinato, which is the burgundy. Then the 15th of October, we start with uh, the white. Very short season for it, three months, depending on the weather mm -hmm. in Italy, which this year was really bad. So no rain, August, September. And then uh, the 15th of November, we start with the uh, uh, black, uh, with the with the winter black. And then uh, the season goes the same way every, every year. Uh, it's a very expensive. Uh, it's a very expensive uh, nugget, as you said. Yeah, yeah, I mean these things are not cheap. No, oh, we're we're talking about uh, five thousand to seven thousand a pound for the whites, and then uh, the the uncinado, which is the burgundy. We're talking about five to seven hundred dollars a pound, and then the the black, uh, the winter black. We're talking about around a thousand dollars a pound so it's it's a very very expensive uh very expensive ingredient but then you want to use it uh, like zach said before going back to the to the food you want to keep the ingredient uh, you want to highlight the ingredient and when you do a dish with truffle what you're highlighting it's the truffle and the main the main dish so we 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 use it we have it all year around on the menu but we have tagliolini zach sometimes uh, comes up with some of the ideas that we use it with but um we we serve it. Uh, we serve the white. We serve the black. We serve always, always, always. Uh, and um, it's a fun ingredient to play with, and uh, uh, people enjoy it. People enjoy it a lot. Yeah, I mean, I wanna, and, and well, before I turn to Zach because I can see you kind of getting giddy, and I want to talk I'm about giddy. this dinner itself. I mean, well, I have a I have a softball <laughs> pitch question because like. Um, <laughs> Just when it comes to truffles, because I don't even I like I know like the the 
consumer side and i i kind of interact with truffles it's like i call a guy and truffles shows up to the restaurant and then i'm yeah, like hey, I, know, truffles. I don't know why that sounds so cool saying that you had a broker yeah, yeah. i mean <laughs> i have awesome. a broker it's like uh, i explained to my wife this is why i hate grocery shopping because i go to ralph's i'm like who fucking puts this here like i just i want i want to be able to call and be like hey i would like uh this and then it comes the next day that's the best part but um this is a question that i this is funny because i work here and i'm hosting a truffle dinner so sorry listeners that i'm ignorant but Sandra, do you want to kind of lay out from just the, the process of truffle is in a ground and we have to find it, what kind of the steps it takes to get here? Because this, you know, we, we say it's expensive, but like, I think he knows better than me. This sure. is why I'm doing this. It's a little bit of a tee up. Um, but, you know, it's the reason why they're $4,000 a pound isn't because like they're going to, I mean, they, they are very, very, it's a very interesting and special flavor, but um it's the fact of you'll hear him say it, but what it takes to do it to get it to Bellows' door. No, I guess. that's completely fair. I think yeah. understanding food costs yeah. is a big deal. Yeah. So yeah, if you can break down the yeah. full process, that'd so be the great. Way, the way it works is like this. So uh, there's there's the hunters in Italy, can be France, Italy, all over Europe. So the hunters, the way they do, they have dogs. They go out and they find truffles. Okay, in certain areas. Now nowadays, it's thirty years uh, till today. There's a possibility of growing a truffle. What does that mean? It means that they get uh, um, certain kind of trees and then they put the spores of the truffle in the roots of the trees. And after four or five years, those, uh, the truffles, they should, you know, uh, come out because truffle is a mushroom and it, it grows very close to the root of uh, those trees, okay, which is oak usually and even walnut, even uh, walnut. So uh, when, the drug fi- when the dog finds it, they, they got to be very careful when they're picking the truffle because they don't want uh, to ruin it, okay? Yeah. So the truffle, because it's composed of 90% of water, it has a really short life. So you want to make sure that the truffle, the, the nicer it is, the, the bigger it is, the more expensive it is. So it has to be, uh, 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 they pick it, uh, they send it to a lab, the lab uh, gives the okay, then it's wrapped in paper, uh, put in uh, dry ice, uh, boxed, uh, sealed, and then it's sent to us, to the United States. I'm talking yeah. to us because we're here in the United States. The custom broker has to do all the paperwork to make sure that the custom is okay with that. Um, and so basically, uh, in 24 hour max, you get the truffles here. That is the reason because it's very expensive because you can't find them. They don't grow everywhere. They grow in certain areas, very, very hard areas to reach. So basically the dog can go, but sometimes the human cannot reach the where dog the truffles will eat are. them all. <laughs> if it gets to <laughs> well, I want to be mad at yeah. that dog right now. Yeah. I'm like, good you, boy, you do that. You <laughs> wouldn't eat them, but you know, it's very hard for humans to get because they go underneath, uh, thorns, they go underneath places where yeah, a human yeah can't go so sometimes you know that there's a truffle somewhere and then you got to go the day after because you didn't bring all the equipment there to to, to cut all through all those you know uh so that that's the reason because they're very expensive plus the weather uh the weather helps or doesn't help uh, on that side but usually last year and this year it's going to be a really expensive year for especially for the whites there's not a lot of them i mean you mentioned that you pick them up the next day at lax and i just gotta ask how stressful is that drive from LAX back here? 
It's okay because the, it's not the drive that it's uh, stressful. The stressful part is when you go to the to the area where the uh, you pick him up. You gotta wait in line with other people that are picking up other stuff. So basically, you're in line, and then uh, uh, they call you. You go there, you pick the the box, and you just go. And you can't wait to get back to open them and see what you have inside. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. just wild. That is so many like the amount of logistics that go into that. Yeah, to get a little, I mean they go like, bad quick. Is yeah. the thing. So like that's the. The point is, like he's saying, you pull them out of the ground. They're at your restaurant usually within twenty four hours to thirty eight hours. So it's like, you know that that's why they cost so much, and also yeah. they're hard as hell to find. You know, so like I mean, Nick Cage just did a great movie about it. Um, I'm yeah, just I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, mean, I, <laughs> I actually haven't seen it, but um, but you know, they're 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 hard as heck to find. So it's like it, it makes it like not only is it just this kind of flavor that's very, very interesting. They're just unique because we don't interact with anything like that in the culinary world. Cause most things like, you know, are not sustainable is the wrong word, but they're readily available. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like if I want to serve you a five Wagyu, I can get you a five Wagyu every single day of the year. You know, and I and I have a source for it, and it'll always be the same quality, and always be the same flavor. But like, this is a finite product. Yeah, this that is has a finite, very short and, shelf yeah, life. Super, and it's also just like and there's nothing. I mean, I guess you talked about your aunt's your aunt's truffle oil, but there's like they they've kind of found out how to sort of chemically recommend the, uh, replicate the smell, but like there's, there's nothing, nothing like, like the it. Real yeah, no, there's there isn't, and like it's it. and it's that's the the crazy part is that it's it's a very very unique mushroom well it should be yeah. mentioned that yeah. you're not just bringing them in for yourself you're bringing them in to help supply other people in the area as well bringing them to other chefs mm-hmm. and people like we that do. yes so it's uh it's uh it's something i decided to do uh because uh, i didn't like the way we were being treated from some uh, other uh, suppliers so i said you know what let's let's start this game so this is I kind mean, of a side business that's now opened up where you're able to supply different chefs yes yes it, it's been fun it's been uh, it's been a nice uh, it's been a nice uh, adventure yeah. and uh, it's growing uh, i'm happy to do it i'm happy to have always the product available because you know uh, you always want to have it, uh, not only for others, for the restaurant, for Bello. It's uh, it's a fun thing. Yeah. So uh, we're looking forward to this dinner that we're doing and uh, many more to come. All right. So I want to talk about this dinner because, like I said, at the time of this recording, tickets are available. When this yeah. goes live uh, to both Patreon subscribers and free feeds, but obviously everybody on Patreon is going to get a week head start. Tickets are still available. You guys, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys are cooking together. Yeah. this one yes it's a twofer that's awesome yeah so it'll be the two of you mm-hmm. plus obviously drew who's always with you uh, helping you out yeah, maybe Drew. maybe <laughs> i mean what are some i mean you guys obviously have you started to plan the menu uh, so the menu is done we actually because we oh, wanted good. To, okay. we wanted to you know i'm i've as we talk about like chef's table and it's kind of uniqueness it's i wanted to kind of add something where we do something we feature every month that is kind of special but also like doesn't go off chef table brand I, yeah. it's kind of a, a a very like i said commercial way to put it but it's um you know truffles are around very short supply and sandro is very linked to those and i want we wanted to start doing a few dinners where we kind of have our our hands in both plates but also take things and do them a little different you know yeah, it's yeah, uh, yeah. we're doing a nine course so i think it's nine or eight or nine courses nine of truffles and it's it's going to be white and blacks winter but it's um we're trying to do them in ways that aren't typical i guess is the best way to put it because 
that's the whole point of Chef's Table. And that's sort of the whole point of Bellow. Is it's not just going to be nine dishes where it's shaved on top. Well, I mean, it, 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 unfortunately, yeah, it actually don't. By the way, that's not a bad wrong. thing. I'm not you're, saying that's a bad own. thing at all. It, it will awesome. for sure be shaved on top because that's <laughs> the best way to eat them. But it's more of the the pairings and what we think goes with it and kind of having like a progressive meal. Because, you know, usually what it is, if you go to these truffle dinners, they'll be like, hey, you got an egg and hey, you got a pasta and hey, you got a, a risotto. Yeah, and, there's hey, the there's, stations of the cross. And yeah. The, yeah and, and it makes sense because, you know, you're doing these things that are very subtle and and we we were sort of keeping that same respect to the truffle but we wanted to do it just through a lens that's a little more exciting is the wrong word because that doesn't but you know a little more unique and kind of we we're trying to build these unique experiences for our guests and let people kind of see what they're what we can do and also just kind of have fun with the ingredient that sounds awesome out of all the dinners that you guys have kind of done, whether they're wine dinners, whether they're theme dinners or things like that, is this one of the ones you're kind of most excited for? Well, this is, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a talker. Um, this one is, <laughs> yeah. this is one of the ones that I guess is, this is the first time aside I just did a vintage champagne where we're really using chef's table and it's limited. You know, our wine dinners are, they can go between 60 to 80 people. This is like, I'm saying we're not doing more than 12 people a night, period. Yeah. If I have the, I might open more nights up if I have the draw, but we're not doing more than 12. I'm not going to, even if you call me up and you want to bring, I mean, I do have a price. Don't, if you do want to call up and pay like $4,000 a person, we will for sure open it up for you. But, um, everybody gets one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, there's a, there's a Mark Twain joke about that, but, um, uh, we, it's just making it finite and making it something where, you know, the two of us are able to sit there and pay attention to everything. And we, I'm serving it. We're serving it. We're pouring your wine. We're doing everything. So making it something that is, Aside from the fact that it's a special ingredient, a special experience, you know what I'm saying? So like, yeah, exactly. You can go to plenty of truffle dinners, like at plenty of restaurants where you will only see a server, you know what I'm saying? And you might, you know, the chef might save the trouble and he disappears or something. So the, the real idea here is it's, it's an experience where it's the two of us are attached to it and we're explaining, kind of putting our hands on everything. And that's why it's only 12 people. Yeah. Because more than that, I can't. I only have two hands. So, and it's, that's the real reason. That's why I think when you ask what's more special, why we care more about this one is it's basically creating a a much more intimate experience. Yeah. A hundred percent. There's the guest and the chefs. That's it. Yeah. There's nowhere to hide. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's going to be fun. We, we hope to, to, uh, fill, fill up, uh, the second night and then to do another night, the third night. Well, like I said, we're recording this on, you know, the 31st yeah, of October. Still, still what, the date for it is what? December? 9th and 10th, 9th of December. 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 So you got some time. Plenty of time, yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, it's it's just, and it's also like, to be fair, this is also just seeing what works. And that's part of what Bello is too, is like, we come up with an idea and like Sandra said, we, we, we have a lot of leeway, but it's more like, Hey, let's try it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And there's a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, restaurants or even places that won't even let you do that. So it's like, we just put pen to paper and we do it. And that's the, that's the coolest part. I think about what goes on here is any idea we want. We've, we've been able to kind of execute and either they, generally they go good. Um, I, I can't, we never had a, we never had a, uh, honestly, we never had a bad dinner. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm just, you know, there are ones that I like more than others, but that's also because I'm a little perfectionist nutbag, but, um, (laughs) yeah. Well, I want to start to wind down this main episode. I am going to keep you guys both around for a Patreon only post show. Maybe we can figure out which of those dinners was not your favorite in that one. Um, 
and obviously it sounds like Chef's Table is going great. So I'm very happy to hear that from your point of view, Zach. But Sandra, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you since I have you on the show. You know, this at the end of the day, this is your baby. I mean, this is your place. The obligatory question is obviously everybody made it through 2020. Obviously, you're still standing here so that you made it through the pandemic. But how do you feel looking forward to the kind of future of Bello and, and everything that kind of goes with it? This is a big baby. <laughs> but she's uh, a big yeah, baby. There's yeah. a lot of square footage here. Yeah. Well, the, the, <laughs> Uh, 2020 was what it was. We were able to survive it really mm -hmm. well. Uh, as I said at, uh, at the beginning, it was not the easiest, but not the hardest. Let's put it that way. We had a lot of uh, people supporting us. We ob obviously we had to uh, work on the menu to make things that I was not doing before, like pizza yeah, to yep. go. But uh, all that helped. And uh, where do I see Bello? I see Bello growing in the next few years because as you said before, it's three years that we opened, but it's just a year and a half now that we're uh, uh, really open. Yeah. It's only it's only a year and a half that we're really open because yeah. with the pandemic, we're you know open and closed at the same time. So I see, I see the restaurant, it is growing in both sides. It's growing in chef's table and it's growing in the regular restaurant. Uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, there's a lot of growth from here to the next uh, few years, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, uh, we will be able to to maintain what we're uh, we're doing our hard work, and uh, we will see the we will see this growth really soon. Good, because it is uh, it's hard work, but it's fun. Yeah, Zach is having fun. The guys in the kitchen are having fun. Everybody's having fun. Yeah, so. Well, good. Well, like I said, I'm going to keep you guys around for a post show, but I want to thank you so much for this time on the main show. Um, could not be happier for all the success you guys are having. Bella's a great spot. The chef's table is great. And I'm a big, big fan of it. Thank you. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks for having us. Not thank problem, you. Guys. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much to Zach and Chef, both those guys just for taking the time, Sandra and uh, everybody, just for taking the time to sit down uh, mid-service in the restaurant. I think we did it on like a Monday. Um, yeah, it was the Monday on Halloween, that's right. So again, those guys were both in there. All the chefs uh, and staff that had you know little kids to take out, they gave them the day off to go trick-or-treat with their families. So I really appreciate those guys taking the time pre-service to sit down. Um, depending on when you're listening to this, if there are tickets available for that Bellow Chef's Table, the truffle dinner, go get them. I, I know that it can be a lot of money and money is tight right now, as I said in the intro, thanking the people that just give me a little bit on Patreon. If you have the means, experience it because it will change you. It is unlike anything else in the area. I promise you that. Thank you um, again to everybody, whether you're listening on Patreon, Patreon or whether you're listening on free feeds, it means the world to me that you're supporting the show. Thank you so, so much. Again, check out the merch store, especially you got the holidays coming up. There's some fun stuff on there. Let me know what you want to see and I'll add it and I'll get it designed and we'll work on it together. Thank you to the advertising partners who make this show possible on top of everybody on Patreon. Thank you to Ali Coyle for the music. Thank you to chefs. Once again, for the time, everybody be nice to each other out there. Do not drink and drive. Tip your bartenders. Be nice to each other, man. It's the holidays. Have fun. I'll see you soon. Take care. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and principal of The Best Seats. It's based in Orange County, California. It is subsidized through generous monthly donations at patreon.com forward slash The Best Seats. The following are the names of those who subscribed at the highest monthly tier, aka norm status, and allow me to continue producing this show each and every month. As a thank you for their continued support, here are the names. 
Cheryl McCarthy, Serena Warino, George Pavlov, Eric Lutz, Paige Reardon, Loco Lipo, Tim Falk, Burrito No Rito, Sarah Hines, Subtle Bubbles, Jay Baker, Tim Swine, John Sanchez, Timothy. Thank you for your support.